0: Welcome to the Gymnazo podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself and our top coaches. this podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results, to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results.
1: Welcome back to the Gymnazo podcast. I am Peyton Hughes, one of the owners of Gymnazo, and I am interviewing in studio today Michael Hughes, husband, partner, and founder of Gymnazo. And we have taken a hiatus on this podcast for, I don't know, has it been a year? Several months, several months. Yeah. And we're bringing it back with fresher content, but we wanted to talk today about something that Michael and I have spoken about. And in the team, as we prepare to launch the multidimensional movement coaching program again, uh, we've been talking about this core subject that we're bringing forward in the conversation, which is when do you know, as a trainer, when it's the right time for you to invest in yourself? There's so much noise in the industry, and there's so many programs now, especially as the online education space has quadrupled, if you will, over the past few years. And that can be really exciting because there's all these great programs out there, but it could also be really confusing. And so I love Michael's journey. I think that it's very relatable, and there's so much wisdom that you bring into these conversations. So I'm just going to ask you some questions and see where the conversation leads us.
2: love this
0: stuff.
1: Awesome. Yes. So for those of you that don't know Michael's story, you, I'm going to just cliff notes this. Is this good with you if oh, I just roll? Absolutely. Okay. So what I've taken as your life partner for the past 12 years is you nursed your dog Back to health. I know you don't tell this story very that's often. M- that's
2: my dad's story. It's not. It's not. It's not the <laughs> true story. But the it legend is, has it. It is my dad's story. <laughs>
1: That Michael, at the ripe age of, what, eighth grade? Something like that, yeah. Nursed this sweet little puppy that was gimping along on this broken little leg, and they had spent all this money trying to create a litter of puppies from your beloved family dog, Lacey. And you worked with that little dog, basically figuring out a way to rehab that little leg, and you got that little puppy to walk and therefore be sold, and it was like a great success story. And the rumor and the legend goes that that's when Michael knew you had a gift, a gift of helping people or helping beings at that point heal and recover so that they could live a high quality of life. That's the legend.
2: I like urban legends. That's not true, but it's a good story. <laughs> it's a true story, but it's not the reason.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. But, but what maybe I would say is your reason is that you were – You struggled with a stutter growing up. You Mm -hmm. know, you've shared that on the podcast. And that created a lot of friction for you in your confidence. And you were um, able to feel like you had more of a sense of control and a sense of pride and a sense of I can show up with consistency because I can't show up verbally with consistency yet, but watch me in the gym, watch me show up with consistency, watch me get results and watch... The you know celebrated athletes in your school come to you as the resource and as the expert and ask you to start programming for them because they could see your gains and your physique changing and they wanted that result and right. that was a sense of pride for you
2: and that's the true story which brought me to <laughs> physical therapy because yes. the concept was like what's the top rated person who knows movement yeah you know because then it was it was physique but physique was fitness then yeah totally I mean it still is for the vast majority of people now. Um, so to me it's like if I can understand movement at that level, if I can fix movement, then I can therefore perform movement. Mm-hmm. Like if you understand how to reverse engineer it to that level, then you should be able to proactively engineer it for per, per, <clears throat> excuse me, for performance. So that's the that's the real story.
1: So you go and get what degree?
2: Mm, I got a degree in kinesiology exercise science. Okay. It's the it is the garden variety.
0: <laughs> um,
2: kinesiology degree. And everyone in my class basically says, I don't know what I want to do. Because if you did know what you want to do, you would have been in athletic training degree, still kinesiology, or you would have been in pedagogy, which would have been PE teacher. Or you would have been, what's the other one that was pretty common? I think that was the, those two, the two most common. So and I,
1: now it's corporate wellness, we've been told, from the collegiate viewpoint. Oh, interesting. Coming out of kinesiology. But that yeah. wasn't available mm, when you were going th- to college. I mean,
2: it was there, but it wasn't it wasn't talked about. Yeah. So all the all of us, actually, science people were basically people saying, I want to do physical therapy next. Or, I don't know, I love movement, I want to go to college, and I like sports and I like people. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay.
1: And so I also remember this story where you were against your family's wishes. You were a model at Abercrombie & Fitch because oh, the yeah. byproduct of having a good physique was that you would be a model at the store where you could be shirtless and selling people the amazing jeans you're wearing because what they really want is your six pack, right? Right.
2: That was the Abercrombie Fitch heyday. Yeah. It was, it was. There's
1: an entire documentary I know. I worked at
2: Abercrombie <laughs> during that time. It was pretty crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... You I think you said that you remember someone who was a business major that was in your fraternity bragging about how much money they were making as a trainer and you were like, What? I'm actually studying this. I know way more about the body than you do. And I'm sitting here in my underwear and my jeans.
2: Making minimum wage, folding clothes. Yes
1: and that was your awareness of like why why am i not a trainer this is so obvious and so you went to i think Bally Total Fitness
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay
1: and treadmill alley was your like go to spot to talk to people to get them to train with you i think
2: yeah it was i mean Bally's had a very high pressure high pressure very f- sales focused yeah. spot and so yeah you were definitely like you ate what you killed mhm and so they definitely taught you how to do sales yeah i mean from a very much of a, I don't want to call it like a wolf of Wall Street sales. But for, the, for that standpoint, you know, you you get people to say yes over and over and over again. Then you put that little glossy piece of laminated paper over there with your different packages on it. Your and smile
1: didn't hurt, probably. As right, many trainers right. can know, sometimes in our industry, you can trade on your personality and good looks for a while. And that can cover That's a lot of sins. That's what the
2: entire personal training industry at that point, and still, relatively speaking, personal training, if I use that exact phrase. Yeah. yeah that's what it, that's what it still is.
1: Okay, so you have this kinesiology background. You realize, light bulb moment, I could make more money as a personal trainer. Yeah. You get some sales skills because that was part of the job requirement at that mm-hmm. time. And then you go down, and spoiler alert, you apply for physical therapy schools. You don't get accepted, and you don't give up. You go, okay, well, then clearly I'm being directed, cosmically, divinely, or just this is how it's shaking down for me. And you go, I'm still going to get to where I want to go anyways. Right. And so I want to talk about your educational journey because it's really interesting. I, if I recall, you invested in, like a lot of trainers, kind of these shorter-term weekend in-person certification programs because you were perhaps maybe looking to add more, what are they called, acronyms? Or what are the what are the letters behind your title? Like Michael Hughes, SCS, PTSD, like whatever it ends up,
2: PTSD. That's funny. (laughs) I don't think said PTSD, but yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. But all these letters behind your name that any MD would have, but in in the in the the industry. So it's it's interesting as a personal trainer, you want to go learn a specific thing. Yeah. So you go to that certification to learn that thing, you know. So like a a strength and conditioning coach um, was. The like whoa, you know everyone wants that. It's really hard to get. And so if you had the the um, C S C S excuse me C S C S behind your name, you're like oh wow you must be a good trainer
1: because
2: mm-hmm. you got that certification. But you had to have like a bachelor's of science in kinesiology to to get that. Mm. So really kind of fine tuned the industry. And it's actually still that is still relatively the gold standard because um, you, you have to have that to even coach at, at to be a trainer at at colleges or Mm -hmm. at the the NCAA level. I think that's still true. I could be wrong. I haven't checked that that data in a long time, but at least that's what it was then. So, but then you can get like um, ACSM. and and If you're any any trainer, you know what I'm talking about. But then there's a level of like even getting um, like your TRX certification or kettlebell certification, which all these things are just showing your knowledge but it's really not showing your knowledge.
1: Or it's really showing your tool knowledge, yeah. right? So like if you have like a, like we love Landmine University and a lot of our coaches are hyped on that methodology and we utilize it in our programming. And so they go through, you know, really understanding how to, and I've, I recall it's really focused on a specific tool and the ways of using your body with that tool.
2: Right, but trainers are really, they're they're passionate learners because yeah. they realize they don't know that much and they start training the human body. They're like, wow, wow, there's a lot they don't know. Enough time training people will force you to become humbled about how much you do not know about the human human body. It's just going to happen. It's like showing up at a nuclear power plant, but like, hey, f- you know, make power come out, and you're gonna like, I don't know. So you go learn. Yeah, you know. So it's kind of I don't know if that's the best analogy, but the the concept is like you're going to realize when you say I don't know enough. And you travel, and I traveled to Minnesota. I traveled to Texas. I traveled to Florida to go learn about golf, yeah, as an example. So I want to level up my golf game, uh, training better golfers. So that's what the industry is kind of very proliferated on. But my education that I finally learned wasn't teaching me about one thing;
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was teaching me about everything.
1: Yeah. Before you go there, the yeah. analogy that comes to my mind because I'm super visual was. It's almost like personal trainers are out there trying like they're it's like I'm seeing Ted Lasso in the soccer team Mm. and there's no Ted Lasso going. Here's your limitations as an athlete. You need to go and learn how to do this or Jamie, which is the star player. If you haven't seen the show, who has a big ego attached to him, you need to practice these kicks from the midline, because if you can nail that David Beckham shot, then we have an advantage in the team. And there seems to be once you are, if you even go to kinesiology school or major in kinesiology, at that point, you're your own Ted Lasso and your own Jamie. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to, in real time, figure out where am I the best? And then where are my gaps and my limitation in in my You know, my vision of my skills, which is a hard place to be and leaves you perhaps vulnerable to a lot of noise and a lot of distraction in the marketplace Mm -hmm. to go. Well, I just need and I know that from the trade shows that we've gone to in the industry, there's a heavy emphasis on sales and marketing for trainers and then there's specific certifications that tend to be style or tool specific where people tend to kind of go that route. Mm -hmm. And now I want to ask you about the route that you chose to take because something that I, love and get sometimes annoyed by about you is you're very discerning as a buyer, you're a skeptical buyer. You are not someone that buys on an impulse. You are someone who reads the 5,000 reviews, who looks at the pictures, who who goes to Reddit to see if it's a scam. Mm-hmm. And my guess is we have some listeners on the line with us. Who would, adm- who would be fall into that camp of the discerning buyer who would rather wait and pause and hold to make sure it's the right decision? Not even just because of the dollars, if it's multiple thousand dollar investment, but simply because of the time and the focus and making that choice feels really meaningful.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you go to enough certifications and, you know, you spend money on the flights, the hotels. Mm-hmm. Not even the certification. Yeah, and the certification, and the meals, and the time away from friends, or the few uh, clients you had to cancel because of a delayed flight—you know, whatever the case is—I've—I've I've done on that. And you start to realize when you go to these certifications, you're sitting there, you're like, "Oh my gosh, what a goldmine of information!" And you're writing down notes, you're writing down notes, and taking pictures, and you go talk to the speaker and the presenter, and then you go into your session with your clients, and there's like this massive gap. Because what they say is all theoretically based. But when that client in front of you, that 13-year-old golfer, that 65-year-old woman says, yeah, that move hurts, or I can't do that move, or I don't want to do that move. Mm-hmm. There's no ability, or at least from what my education taught me, of like, oh, here's how to work around that. hmm it's like this is what you got to do first. Here's the first progression. Then here's the second progression. But you can't do the second progression after you do the because you got to do the first one first. Why well, can't do the first one? Well, the first one is a kneeling chop with a with a cable machine, and it hurts their shoulder to reach up up and across their their body. Dang it! Um, what do I do? There wasn't that deeper understanding of why are you even doing this in the first place? How do you work around it? Work through it, and not just avoid it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and that's – so you start to go to enough of these certifications. You, start, you stop trusting – at least what I did, I stopped trusting what I was going to get out of it because it wasn't really helping me solve the issues that my clients were having, which were movement-related issues, not fat loss, not muscle gain. Those were simple to do, but I they just can't do the movement, mm-hmm. and so you get frustrated.
1: And so I always – I, and I, I'm curious if you would agree with this when I think about, you know, you having to be your own Ted Lasso and a star player of your career. Yeah, you
2: got to be a coach and, and, your, and an athlete.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're the coach and the athlete. And you're trying to objectively gauge your actual skill set and try to pull your ego out. Because, of course, so many of us can run for days on I'm a badass or I'm really, really good at my job. But after a while with those conversations with clients, we, we know because we train trainers that... Imposter syndrome is real and there's a lot, you know, regardless of whether ego is presenting or not, underneath so many trainers, there are two things, a heart that wants to serve and yep. improve lives yep. without a question. We call them bleeding. I joke about them. It's bleeding hearts, but I love it. And the second is I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And this deep-seated kind of insecurity of I'm not good enough and will I ever be
2: good yeah. enough? And I think there's a third layer that just came to my mind. It's that there's also immediate competition. Mm. If you're a trainer in a big box gym, you have multiple other trainers around you. Yeah. It's not like you have this own coffee shop or the other owners down, down the street.
1: Yeah, Like the next competition
2: is literally next to you.
1: Watching you.
2: Judging. Yeah. And if you are your own trainer, there's so many damn trainers, <laughs> at least in this town, that you have a client who came from another trainer. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying, well, my trainer did it this way. Or I used to do this. And now you're immediately saying, how do I, because there's such a scarcity of keeping clients. There's all these tactics on how to get clients. Jim Lords have done a great job. I want to give a shout out to Jim Lords. Great brand, getting clients.
1: Any way they can.
2: However, how do you keep the client? Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a lot of practice on doing that. But how many are dedicated to the art of actually being a good trainer?
1: Well, And And that's
2: the missing gap.
1: And just from a business perspective, because that's, What I bring to this conversation in our business is you have to work so much harder to get someone brand new into your orbit versus the lowest hanging fruit is keeping the people happy, keeping Mm -hmm. them progressing, keeping you progressing so that they feel that they never reach your ceiling in their time with you. And that's, I think, where there can be that insecurity. Now, insecurity can be debilitating or it can be a fire under your butt to get up and do something about it. And so functional dysfunctional isn't necessarily the conversation we'll have today. But how did you know that the, what education felt really good for you to invest? Because you invested five figures, if I recall, into yeah. your next move. $15,000. So
2: yeah.
1: $15,000. Okay, so talk to me about how you knew that was the right education for you and what skill set you believed it was going to give you.
2: Yeah, I, I remember this very, very vividly. Because I talked to another trainer who was doing something. This is a story I've, I, 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 sh- I share often. She was doing something weird.
1: <laughs> it, really,
2: it looked weird. It looked, it looked really weird. It was movement, but it's like it's not weightlifting. <laughs> that's for certain.
1: So you were in an energy of judging it?
2: Oh, i 100%, 100% judging it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I
2: don't want to call it. Like I, I wasn't making fun of her. I wasn't like saying that's yeah. stupid, but it's like, wow, that definitely is standing out. Like if yeah. you want to stand out, you know, and to see if people wearing black suits will wear a pink one, you know. So in a sense, if you're, if you're in a weightlifting gym, do a lot of movements that are flailing your arms in the, in the air, not with weights in your hand. Yeah. You know, it's kind of that, that's what she was doing. Um, so it was, it was the comment on another person who was a, who was a very dedicated power lifter saying this coach can help him get out of movement pain. Now, as a failed physical therapy applicant, someone saying this trainer helps me get out of movement pain. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm um, I, I want to meet him. But I didn't, so this, so then I chatted with her at her studio. She just went to my gym to work out to get away from her, her spot to, to actually move and do her own practice. But even talking to her, it's like, wow, good idea, good idea, good idea. I still didn't fully trust it. Mm-hmm. Oh, go to this seminar. It's in a few months. Awesome. I go to that. Still not trusting it. It wasn't until those presenters started speaking to me and then after the first half day of a three-day seminar. So, you know, we're, not even the first day in then i believed it but then i didn't i only believed them i had to go and actually make sure the education worked so you kind of see this this process you have oh. to trust and trust and trust and trust
1: it's like following breadcrumbs yeah it and, really is but there's probably and i'm curious if you feel like there's this pattern that you've acknowledged or seen in yourself where you're like, okay, I s- there's enough here to keep me interested. I'm going to follow and trust that. Okay. I'm going to go to the next level. I'm going to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to look for these. Okay. When I get the answer that feels good, I'm going to go to the next level. It's like you, I'm picking up, you might have like 15 levels where someone has to prove themselves to when you would go, I'm going to buy from you.
2: In this industry. Yeah. I mean, versus like, Hey, I want to be the best medical doctor. Great. Here's like the seven schools. Go yeah. to these schools. Great, you got out of these schools. I want to go get a residency. Great, here's the top 50 doctors. Just go pick anyone. We'll, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's such an established growth path yeah. for most service-based health-based practitioners, non-fitness. Yeah, there is no path. Yeah. Besides becoming a franchisee of a.
1: It's unregulated wild west out here for education and progression.
2: Uh, 100.
1: Okay, okay. So going back, so then when you said that the, you went to the conference and it was. You know, you're a couple days in and they start speaking to you. What were they saying that felt resonant?
2: You know, uh, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know what they, I don't remember what they said. I only remember what what I felt.
1: Okay. What was that?
2: And what I, what I felt was, is they understand the problem that I don't even know how to put words to.
1: Mm. And what problem was that?
2: That problem was how to get to a solution yeah it's like it is very much this concept of like I have for me it was like my client has knee pain and I was always taught from all the corrective exercise specialty stuff all the all those that's an actual cert certification that I got they would say well here's how to focus and put equipment around the knee to get the knee stronger and all the muscles that connect directly to the knee and this guy Gary Gray was saying, And Dave Tiberio were saying, "Here's how the knee works, and it connects to the ankle and the foot and the hip and the thoracic spine and the shoulder. And here's how a bum moving shoulder messes the thoracic spine and messes the hip up, and therefore messes the knee up. And you started to understand that everything that you've been told was not wrong, but it wasn't the full story. Mm. I always kind of look at it's like it's like for the full life of, of a trainer." You're reading this book, but you're only reading the center of the book. No one told you how the story started. No one tells you how the story's finished. So you finally get this whole story. And even though you didn't write the book, you at least heard it. Mm. And so you get this eyes opened of uh, this is how it actually works. And from that thought process of principle-based thinking, you start to realize, I can do this. Mm. There's no magic sauce.
1: Almost like the certifications out there, the education that you'd been exposed to and feel that lack of trust or the erosion of trust is maybe how I would say it Mm -hmm. was because they were just teaching you shortcuts that would be likely to work in certain percentage of circumstances, but what you wanted was to understand at a deep level what it was so you could problem-solve on your own.
2: Exactly. Like, if there's a lot of methods that are taught... Like, TPI was one I I, I went to, and I really understood... Like, uh, Dr. Greg Rose was... I was like, wow, like, I want his job. Like, so cool. He's he acknowledges so much. And a lot of things that he was referencing... I'm not... I'm, I'm not going to be picking on him at all, but, like, a lot of things he was referencing was just, like, why oh, I did this, this study here, and this is what I found, this is what I found, this is what you know, uh, my, my fellow co- colleagues, you know, their physical therapists, what they would have done. And I was like, okay, I understand. They're all kind of like, this is your experience mm-hmm. and a research paper, that research paper, which just was in a lab. It's not really actually a really thing. And that's how that kind of makes sense. Okay, cool. What Gary Gray was saying was like, these are not what I found. This is just how it works. Mm-hmm. You drop a ball, it's going to fall.
1: Yeah, really relying on science. Yeah,
2: you put the foot on the ground and connect it. This is how the bones are going to move. Yeah. And if it's not moving that way, let's understand how the muscles work. So it's really, it it wasn't his opinion. Mm. And I was so used to just listening. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've done. Here's my method. Here's my last name method attached to it. And this was not Gary's method. This was just physics. Mm -hmm. And for the person like myself who I read all the reviews, I want to know how it works. Yeah, It made sense to me that I can be my own hero, Mm -hmm. which is essentially I can be the person who helps the the clients in front of me.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm laughing because, and if you are listening versus seeing this, I'm holding up one of these new trendy water bottles right now. I don't even know what they're called hydrating water hydrogen bottles yeah basically Um, if you're on tiktok they are all over the place because everybody's making a buck off of them and i remember buying two of these recently for christmas for us for stocking stuffers and they're like 40 bucks well because they never actually got delivered shout out to tiktok's dropping the ball here on their fulfillment you saw me repurchase them for 40 bucks each and you instantly thought These are fake. Like Peyton, who doesn't read any reviews, who doesn't research, she got scammed into these fake water bottles. And then you go into a deep dive and you find like the doctor that you love, and I don't even remember what his name is, and he has one that's $300. And so instantly you're like, this $40 water bottle is a joke you want the $300 water bottle. And that's how you buy things, I would say. And I think that as you know, you've reverse engineered the skills that have taken you from a trainer who is scraping together 3K a month to pay your living expenses. And anytime you say yes to a wakeboarding weekend trip, you're kissing goodbye money that you need to pay your cell phone bill. You went from that to building a seven-figure fitness brand that attracted really talented coaches to making livable wages with us. Um, You've created a curriculum that is more like the $300 water bottle and less like this $40 one that I'm looking at right here that you're smirking at me. And so you did that in a sea of knowing that there's a sea of trainers out there pricing out and scraping money together because they're still putting 3k together per month and they're still paycheck to paycheck. And every time like their work-life balance sucks and they're programming on weekends and they're living that, that way. And you're pricing our program for discerning buyers going, I don't want the gimmick at 40 bucks. I want the $300 water bottle because if I'm going to spend the time in them to understand this and implement this. It's worth it to me to get the premium. Tell me about that decision when we priced it and when we organized the curriculum that we call the multidimensional movement coaching
2: program. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it goes back to the fellowship that I, that I learned and I spent 15,000 on. And, you know, the, I'm just saying these numbers just for, for a sense yeah. of just understanding and transparency. Yeah. I think it's good. And it's like when I was in that room, those, you know, those mm-hmm. 10 months, essentially, you know, I was in, it was virtual for the most part. Um, it was such as like this breath of fresh air of like, wow, I'm understanding how things work. And when I'd go to the gatherings, you know, I'd meet with other people like-minded, really it's like, you know, I've been doing this for years, i found this this new way of thinking and here we all are just collaborating and, and challenging. it. But the conversations that would always come up is like, so what are you doing about it? Because mm-hmm. we'd all geek out at the dinner table, the lunch table, you know, the breakfast table, you know, drinking beers. And they're like, I don't, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this yet, but I, I, I can use it with my one-on-one client because mm-hmm. that's how it was taught, you know? And then, so it was this very fascinating way of kind of thinking about it. But the way that I was thinking about it was like, how am I using it for my group training?
1: Well, yeah. Cause wasn't it a clinical, it was based for physical, it was an education program built for physical therapists, not exclusively, but primarily well, that In knowledge
2: a, base. Yeah. yeah to yeah, be and, given to an in-clinic yeah. patient.
1: So you're gathering this knowledge but the way that the application is running is it's not for fitness it's for one-on-one clinical environment so you're having to go cool I need to not just understand everything that this program's teaching me I now need to break this down into a way that this becomes really powerful in a group environment with my 4 930 soccer mom group
2: right Exactly. And that's where that's that's where just kind of started to feel this this sense of like that's just how I was thinking. Yeah. I, that wasn't that I I had to choose that way because that's what the business I had I'd, I'd already built. And so it was that interesting kind of play of like, if I can put that into a program of training other trainers to think this same way from a scalable standpoint, because that's the hard thing about training. We need scalability. We have to have it. You know, most trainers are charging maybe seven, I just call it from 60 to hundred dollars an hour for one-on-one training. You do the math on that. That's not a sustainable career. Yeah, It's just not, there's no way it, it works out. So you have to start training more people, but you start training more people, you start to lose quality. It's just the way it goes. Mm, not in this way. Yeah. Because we're able to understand human movement at such a much more finite level we can touch on those details, and that's what makes the MDMC something that if a trainer really wants to understand movement and really wants to make the biggest impact on, on their community, and but also love what they do and want to keep that career going, you need to understand scalability with quality attached to it. Yeah, And obviously, there's always local maximums that you can go to, You know, and we have our local max. We don't train 30 people at a time because that's beyond our ability to manage quality. But it's, it's 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 so cool to see our scalability grow because I remember when I had six people in a group, I was like, ooh, that's tough. Managing a lot of movement mechanics here, a lot of details with clients. We're watching a lot of things. with was six and then went to eight. I remember having a conversation with you and went to 10 and then 12 at, at Parker Street, our second facility. And then, then it went to 16 and then went to 18.
1: And then last week in our leadership meeting, we found out that our senior coaches will... Add people to the wait list into the class to get up to twenty two because they feel safe managing twenty two
2: people. Right, and here's and a, a lot of trainers would would cringe on that not yeah. be included. We do that because the clients that we're allowing in are that good.
1: Yeah, they, they have, know they're movement literate. They,
2: exactly, and that's sort of the cr- the cr- the biggest non cringe worthy thing I want people to understand about training that many people in a boot camp. It's cringe worthy, but if you have a client you've been training for four or five years, yeah. They're no longer someone you have to just be like, oh, I got to watch every move. No, mm-hmm. they're actually helping to become their own coach. Mm-hmm. And that's when success, as what well, I believe as a movement practitioner, has, has been gained, is that they no longer need you. They want you.
1: Yeah. And I think that sometimes there can be some insecurity about, well, if I get really good and I teach so much to my clients, are they going to just leave and go create their own home gym and that's it? They don't need me. And we just haven't seen that happen.
2: No, no. I mean, it has happened, but... Not That's a good thing, though, because they're going to say to some other person, hey, Andrew, how are you doing such a good job with your home gym? It's like, well, I actually, you know, they're going to tell their story for the most part. And they're going to say, yeah, I started at gymnasium. So it's like we, we, you want good people to say, you know what? It was so good. I'm doing this. But most people, especially in fitness, don't do, do that, I, myself included. Mm-hmm. I don't like working out by
0: myself.
1: And so as we kind of wrap up this conversation, going back to – The way that we've positioned our offering, which is taking a lot of the skills and the teachings that you learned from the Gray Institute, who we partner with for intellectual property on a portion of what we teach, because we love to give credit where credit is due. And you've created an immersive program with, I want to say, 72 live calls in six months, like where it's not just here watch my videos, learn from me, hope you can apply it. It's let's go into it, dedicated facilitator. Let's dive in yeah, with it's you. It's a
2: mentorship, right? Yeah. This industry doesn't need more knowledge. Yeah. It needs mentorship. It
1: needs integration, yeah, right? It needs exactly. practice because you're going to practice. None of us are good at anything the first time, so you might as well do it in a safe container where people are cheering you on and are also you know, showing you and partnering with you and where your wins are celebrated and you feel a little more supported. Um, there's just like a safety net there. Um, but it's, it's an investment. And so it's an investment, not just in time, but in dollars. And to talk to me about why that's profound or why that's important for trainers to not write off and go for a $400 weekend course.
2: Well, it's kind of funny because like if I, if I tallied up all the certifications I had before my fellowship. And, you know, travel, right? you got to think about it's oh, not just totally. the certification costs. It's the lost client costs because you're traveling. It's the travel, it's the cases. Yeah. And then the time that you're jumping from topic to topic to topic, getting this knowledge, at least what the MDMC offers, it's so focused, relatively speaking. You can dive so deep into it. You can spend years relearning the same thing. I remember always growing up, my my grandmother would say, you know, because um, she read she read the Bible like all all the, all the time. She says yeah, every time I read it, I just get something new out of it, and that's kind of what this education is. You yeah. just keep going through it because after the second time of learning it, there's another layer to your consciousness, mm-hmm. and then you watch it for the third time. You grab more out of it, mm-hmm. so you just keep layering on new levels of thinking because this thinking isn't Michael Hughes's thinking. This is. This is just the principles of human movements and human biology and human behavior- and human behavioral sciences. You, the more you can grasp from it, the more you can create from it. Mm-hmm. So that value, it's like you buy. A, it's and this is what this was a problem that I had with 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 my journey is that I didn't take another certification for five years, five maybe even seven years actually, if I do my math right. How much money did I save, yeah. not taking more certifications, because the one I had was so had so many. so much depth to it. I just kept getting better and getting better and getting better. And I think that's the biggest problem with the trainers is they just seek the next greatest learning thrill and Mm -hmm. they don't dive dive deep enough. So this one may cost you a few thousand dollars, but it's going to save you triple, quadruple that amount in the next five to 10 years because you don't have to go to that next certification Mm -hmm. because you already understand how that certification works. And a lot of MDMCers, at least those the people in our community, they're like, they don't need to go get that certification junkie feel, that, that kettlebell cert, those modality certs, what we call them, you know, the tool certs, because they can almost run them, they could run them themselves.
1: Yeah, because they could pick up anything that's awkward and weighted, yeah, and they it, could understand how the biomechanics of their body are designed to work with it. Exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah. Now put a price on that. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, right. And that's
1: all right. Well, that's good. I'm so if any I guess the last thing I'd like to just ask you is if someone's on the fence about our program that you've that we've built together, but it's really your it's your brainchild.
2: I remember sitting in this exact room <laughs> putting a bunch of sticky notes on a whiteboard. yeah,
1: yeah. so but if you were to say, you know, if they're on the fence and they're the skeptical buyer, and we're not intimidated by that because we understand that. At least I was the intimidated are. buyer too.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm an impulse buyer, clearly, with my water bottle here, but you are you are the diehard. Um, and they're not sure. What's the next step?
2: I think always the next step is like, at least what I had, is like I had, I needed to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't like calling big corporations and I get some, some, you know, AI bot. I want to talk to some, somebody, yeah. give me an answer, you know? Yeah. And so talking to somebody and asking, asking the hardest question that you think that you can ask,
1: mm.
2: don't fluff around it. Like there's no point. And then also talk to someone who's done it. Yeah. Like to me, that was a big thing. I want to talk to someone who's done it. And what did they say? How are they ap- applying it? Because this is an industry again, you know, we don't. There's not this this huge brand thing where like, oh, I went to this school. Oh, great, you must know this this relative knowledge. Or I was an intern underneath this company.
1: Yeah, we don't know. We
2: don't have that yet, you know. And if you are part of you know, Exos, so where the case is, great. So you have a big corporate ability, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're great at solving big big problems. You just have good systems and operations. Nothing wrong with that. But so it's like. There's a There's a new tranche of trainer coming out that we're trying to do our very best to spearhead and to be a spearhead, not the only one. And you have to ha- you have to ask those questions that you would always want to ask anybody. And because if you're not conv- if, if, if you're not going into it with enough sense that this has a, a great possibility and, and hope behind it, then you're not serving your clientele because your clientele are going to do the exact same thing to you. Yeah, why does a client sign up with me? Because I sell them hope. Yeah, and their job is to trust me, and the following ten sessions, whatever it is, they need to see that progress. Mm-hmm. So the only way that you're going to do that without actually doing it is ask the hard questions and talk to people who have already have already done it, basically.
1: So the way that I think it's important to say um, when this podcast lands, we are, and whenever you listen to it, we'll probably have a launch coming up at some point, but just in this stamp time of February, 2024, we have a launch opening up in March now. We're selling um, the MDMC right now at an early bird price of $1,000 off if you can get on the phone before March 11th, make a decision. So, if that feels motivating to you, um, getting on the phone with you, getting on the phone with B, one of our amazing coaches. And Find us on team Instagram, members.
2: follow our, our different yeah. coaches and how they move.
1: But it doesn't mean that we're going to make a high-pressured offer on the phone. We only make offers on the phone if we feel like it's the right person. So if you're on the fence, that's a great place to be. It doesn't mean it's a bad place to be. It doesn't mean that we're going to push you off the fence and take a hostage into the room because we're not here to have the wrong people involved in these cohorts, for yeah, sure. Of course. It's a pain in the everyone's ass. But – if you are that skeptical buyer and you've got your eyes on what we're doing, now's the time to just hop on a phone and be able to ask those hard questions and be able to give yourself the opportunity to look at what would it be or what would it mean to me to invest in myself this way this year?
2: Yeah. I would say that the MWC is not for every trainer. Yeah. It's on designed that way. It's designed for particular trainers who want particular outcomes who want to solve movement-related problems, who want to understand and have this become a profession and a career. Some people just love to work out and want to help help people. Mm-hmm. Probably not your certification. And that's, and, that's, and that's fine.
1: Yeah, you love problem solvers, people that want to, on the fly, make educated shifts. Yeah,
2: who want to feel confident in every drill that they're giving their clientele. Yeah. yeah this is not a soul cycle. We're not going to just high pump and praise. You know, it doesn't mean we don't, but that's not our, our, that's not our focus. Our focus is essentially the understanding movement, like an engineer understands its dedicated field. And we know that there's not just the science of nerding out, you know, it's the, it's, it's all the pieces that go with it. It's Mm -hmm. a very holistic understanding of how the human body needs and wants to be trained for vitality for the rest of their life.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for being here today. And if you're listening to this or watching this and you are interested, I'm going to invite you. We'll put a link in the show notes that you can go ahead and click to book a call with either B or Michael and see if the program feels right to you. Um, But until then, we will see you at the next podcast episode.
2: Thanks, Liz and
0: Cheers. Hey y'all, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed through the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasial podcast. That's hashtag gymnasial podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.